Good morning, everyone. How are you? Are you okay? Oh my gosh, what a day this is. You, we, are in, we are in one of the best places in the Word of God that we could ever be. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for coming. We're going to lay some groundwork for you so that you can kind of make sense of what is being said. But if there is a place within the Word of God that will move your soul, this is it. So I'm glad that you're here today. And I love you with all my heart. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Would you please? And if, if our Lord will allow us, I think that this place in Scripture might impact you and me more than anything else that we have ever studied in this long litany of Paul's ministry and Peter and Stephen and Philip. What we're going to see from Paul is is that he is going to come into a community and sense right away that there is a major problem. If you remember here in the book of of Acts, the 17th chapter, he comes to Athens. He comes to this Greek city, and the one thing that he noted was within the city, what? There were a number of what? Idols. All over the place. We are told there was in excess of 700 different idols within that city limits. And so he looked and he looked and he looked and he saw these idols. And I'm sure it just burdened his soul. And as I said to you last week and the week before, he found a hook, if you would. He found a a way that he could speak to the people about all of these idols because he saw one idol that was in the city that was to the unknown God. And so as he goes to the Areopagus and he goes to this place to preach his message, he starts off by saying in verse 22, which we've already studied, he stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. He says, Because when I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. And then he says, what you proclaim and what you worship in ignorance, this, he says, I proclaim to you. And we said that this message that Paul began here broke up into three parts. The first part was in verses 22 and 23 where he taught the the people in Athens that this God whom they did not know exists. There is this God that exists. Then in verses 24 to 29, he allows them to know who is this God. As it says in verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, namely themselves. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Verse 25, he doesn't. He isn't served by human hands as though he needs anything because, he says, he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And so he allowed the people to know in verses 22 and 23, this God who you say is unknown, he exists. He's there. And this is who he is. He is the creator of this world in which we live. And he has created all things, namely this world and us. And he has given us life and breath and all things. 
And so to stop with verses 22 and 23, knowing that God exists, and to just say, this is who He is, is doing everybody a disservice. Knowing that He exists, knowing that He is there and who He is, becomes meaningless, folks. Meaningless if you and I don't realize and act upon what it is He has told us. And this is where we are this week. In verse 30 to the end of the chapter, Paul says, verse 30, the middle part of 30, God is now declaring, this is what God is saying to people everywhere. And it is the same message that our Lord gave to the apostles before He left the earth. It is the same orders that all of us are to have in every church that opens its doors and allows people to come in and hopefully hope that we will impact our lives through the message. And He says, this is what you're to do. You are to, what? Repent. That's the message. The message is, if you do not know God, repentance is in simplest form, is going one way and making an about face. It is turning back to God. If you are moving away from God, you repent, means you turn back and you go towards this God whom has given you life and given you and me breath and given you and me all things. Now, let's take a look a little further at what Paul is going to do, but mainly to go through your life and my life not knowing what it is that God has said to us, what He desires of us better, what He has commanded and how He has commanded for us to live is a very serious and very critical mistake. Without knowing what God says is one of the main reasons that cults have emerged without really understanding what God has declared is one of the main reasons why offshoots of false Christianity begins or false religions begun. It is, without knowing what God has told us, without knowing what God wants and desires from us, it is devising God into our own idea, our own plan. It is what they did with all of those 700 plus idols. They made God into their image, whatever it is that they wanted of their gods. And and they made God fit into their religion, their image of a God, instead of forming ourselves into the image of God. Critical mistake. That is why I've said to you over and over again, and I say again, without knowing what is within these pages, without understanding what is written within this, the Word of God, we do not know what God has said to us. This is critical. Every church that opens its doors must study the Word of God. It is critical for your life and my life. And so Paul is leading them in that direction. He wants to stop them from moving away, from trying to fit God into their ideal but rather to move themselves into what God has said. You know, this all began, before I get to read these, this is all introduction, this all began long time ago. Turn with me, hold your place here, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. I know that you 
if you've been with me for any length of time, you remember this place in Scripture because it is the first time, the first place that you and I will see where someone tries to fit God into his idea, his image, rather than the other way around. It's the story of Cain and Abel. It's how Cain tried to come to God Cain's way, not God's way. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Now the man, that's Adam, had relations with his wife, that's Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. You see, the Lord had told them when they had sinned in the garden that there was going to come a Savior. There was going to come the Messiah. And He was the one who would wipe away the sins of this world. Up to that point, they were to have a sacrifice of an animal and shed the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of sin. And so when she says in verse 1, I have begotten a man-child with the help of the Lord, she is saying, this is the promised one that God has told us. Well, He's not going to come for another 2,000 more years. Again, it says in verse 2, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now it tells us what Abel and Cain did, and it's critical to know. It says in verse 2, Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Here's the deal. Abel took care of the sacrifices that were given unto the Lord. They did not eat meat until after the flood. And so the animals were not there for food. The animals were there when a sacrifice was needed so that blood might be shed. On the other hand, Cain took care of the physical needs of the family. He, he grew the, the, the produce, the, 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 the fruit of the ground, and all that they might eat, the vegetables, whatever it is they ate. That was his job. Now Cain is watching Abel bring these animals and, and, and perhaps got jealous. Don't know. But watch what it says. It says in verse 3, and it's critical to know verse 3, it came about in the course of time. Now, in the course of time, in Hebrew, means that there is a specific time and a specific place and a specific thing that must take place. And so, this in the course of time means that there is something that is going to happen that should happen at a certain time, a certain place, a certain way. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. In other words, all that he was growing, I'm certain that Cain took the very best of what he grew, the best of it, and brought it to offer it to the Lord as a sacrifice, as an offering for this is what I have done for you, Lord, here. Cain, it says, though, no, excuse me, Abel, it says in, in, in verse uh, uh, 4, Abel, on his part, also brought the firstling of his flock and their fat portions. Now, here's key. Look, the end of verse 4, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. In other words, the Lord says, good, Abel, thank you. That's wonderful. I accept this. But, verse 5, but for Cain... And for his offering, God had 
no regard, wouldn't accept it. It was unacceptable. Why? It was the best that Cain had to offer unto the Lord, I would imagine. And yet, God said, no thank you, Cain. Do you know why? Because God did not have it set up that he would accept an offering of the fruit of the ground. It had to be the blood of an animal. Let me show you. Look at, look, hold your place here in, in Genesis. Now flip ahead, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Just two books to the right. Look at Leviticus chapter uh, 17 and verse 11 with me. You see, God explained this earlier. We get to hear about it in Leviticus, which is the laws, all the laws that the Lord God laid down. And one of the major laws that the Lord God laid down was the payment, the atonement for sin. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, look, the life of the flesh is where? Where? What does it say in your Bible? Where? In the blood. It says, God says, I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement. Atonement means payment. A payment for your souls. Because, he says, it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. The payment that had to be made was not the best that Cain could offer of the fruit of the ground that he grew. God had no regard for that because he could get no blood out of the fruit of the ground. It had to be an animal. Back to Genesis, please, chapter 4. So it says in the fifth verse at the end, that Cain then, after God had no regard for his offering, became very angry. His countenance fell. In other words, you could see it all over him. He was angry that the Lord God did not accept his offering. And the Lord said to Cain in the sixth verse, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen Look at verse 7. If you do well. In other words, if you do as I have commanded you to do, will not your countenance be lifted? But he says, be careful. Be careful. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. In other words, to try to control you. But you, you must master it. Well, if you know the rest of the story, Cain ends up taking his brother's life because he was so angry. But what we learn from that as you turn, well, as you go back to Acts chapter 17, whisk by it to Hebrews chapter 9, please. And while you're looking for Hebrews chapter 9, near the end of the New Testament, while you're looking for Hebrews chapter 9, let me remind you that there is no... We do not have the option to make God into our image. This is what I'm trying to teach. This is what Paul is saying. You and I, we do not have the privilege of making God into the image that we want Him to be. We cannot come to God our way. We must come to Him His way. In Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 22, it says, According to the law, in other words, according to what was written Long ago, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, Without the shedding of blood, there is what? 
you might want to mark that in your Bible. If you have a tendency to mark in your Bible, if you underline, you might want to underline Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, without that, there is no forgiveness. And so God did not have his son go to the cross and shed his blood for you and for me without a great plan. And that plan was settled from the very first part of time when sin happened. Is God taught Abel and God taught, well, Adam and Eve and then Abel and Cain, this is the way you come to me. You come to me by shedding blood for an atonement, for a payment for your soul. And so when God speaks to us, we best listen. There are churches that open their door that close this, the book, and, and, and because they don't want to offend visitors and, and make them feel um, ill at ease in a church where everyone seems to have a Bible and they don't. And so they decide, and this is what I've heard, to have everybody not bring their Bibles so that visitors will not feel out of place. Well, here at this church, we would decide to bring our Bibles and allow the visitors to see that there is more to life than just a vanilla type message, there is more to life than what is outside. I mean, there is not more to life than what is outside of these pages. This is everything to us. So, Paul comes to these people back, please, to Acts chapter 17. And he comes to them. He sees all of the idols, realizing that they are on a path to destruction. They are following after false gods. If you remember when he said in verse 22, I observed that you are very religious. In the Greek, the words very religious turned out to mean worshiping or honoring evil spirits. Paul never minced words. He says, what I have observed in your city is that you have myriads of our altars myriads of gods, and you're worshiping evil spirits. So what you worship, he says, in ignorance, he says, let me proclaim to you in truth. And so he says, therefore, now verse 30, therefore, verse 30 starts with therefore. When you're studying the Bible on your own and you come to a word like therefore, that's a hinge word, you need to understand. Basically, the easiest way to remember it is, when you see therefore, you want to think, what is it there for? What, what is it saying? So Paul has just ministered to these people. He told them that God exists. He told them who God is, the giver of life and breath and everything. Therefore, therefore, since he exists, and therefore because this is who he is, now Paul says, having overlooked, verse 30, Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Verse 32 says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began, began to sneer. In your Bible, it might say laugh or mock. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. Verse 33 says, so Paul went out of their midst. But some joined him and believed, 
among whom also was uh, Dionymus. Ah, I studied so hard to do it. Coach, forgive me. And the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. What we will see from the message is the normal response. Some will mock. Some will say, I want to wait and I want to hear more information. And others will believe. And what you learn from this, what we learn from this place is you have, you will have enough information today to make a decision to believe if you so desire. It's a heart issue. It isn't a mind issue. I'm not saying that Christianity isn't a thinking person's religion. It is. But for belief, you will have enough information. Now let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to teach us from what is the most dynamic message that Paul could bring about what our Lord has said to all people everywhere. Father, please open up our eyes and open up our hearts that we might behold wonderful things from your law. May we see your words, Father, and may they minister to us. I ask, Father, by the grace of God Almighty, that you would move me aside, that that the speaker of this message will not be the one that is of relevance. That, Father, what we will see and what we will listen to, hopefully, is your heart. We will read your words. We will see what you have to say to us and what you ask of us to do. And, Father, we will impact our lives through what you have said rather than what a speaker might say. And so, Father, please move me aside. Allow us, by your grace, to clearly see your Son in all of his glory. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. You know, it's really interesting in verse 30 how Paul begins this declaration of what God has said to the people. Make no mistake about it, that they know that God exists that they understand who He is, is meaningless until they find out what it is He has told them to do. And so, Paul says, the time of ignorance, this time of ignorance is over with for you, the people of Athens. The reason is, Paul has now given them a most tremendous responsibility because He is about to tell them about the Creator and about their Savior and how their sins may be forgiven. Now, having God's light within them, their time of ignorance is over with. They now must do something with what they have heard. Same thing with us. For you to hear this message, the time of ignorance is over with. You now have a decision to make. And some might mock or sneer or laugh at what we believe in. Others might say, I need more information. I'm going to come back. And others of you will believe and follow after the Lord. To me, what was a throwaway verse back in chapter 14, why don't you look back at chapter 14 for a moment. It is where where Paul and... um, And Barnabas go to Lystra, if you remember. And in chapter 14, they come across this this man who was lame from from birth. And Paul, looking at him, 
said, seeing his faith, said loudly, he said, stand up and walk. And he did. And the people just, they were beside themselves. They thought that that Hermes and Zeus, two of their gods, has come to earth. And remember we studied about it? The reason they thought this was tradition had it within that community of Lystra. At one time, Hermes and Zeus came to visit the, the city of Lystra. And tradition says that the Hermes and Zeus came uh, incognito. They didn't let anyone know it was them. And they went from door to door, remember? Asking for a place to sleep and for some food. And everybody turned them down except for who? Well, there was a couple that lived on the outskirts of town that were just poor people. And they invited them in. Tradition tells us that, that these two people, Hermes and Zeus, built them a castle and they lived in a castle for the rest of their days. And a, Hermes and Zeus caused a flood to hit the city and destroy all the people who ignored them. And so here's Paul and here's Barnabas sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, healing this man. And as it says in Acts chapter 14, the people thought that Hermes and Zeus was with them again. And they began, verse 12 of, of, uh, of Acts chapter 14, they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes and because he was the chief speaker. And the chief, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate. He wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowd. Listen, he's not going to miss on this. I mean, if they, if they destroyed everybody last time, he's going to be up front and offer a sacrifice to these guys. And when, verse 14, the apostles, when Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their robes and they rushed out in the crowd and they said to them, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature of you. In other words, we are sinners that need to be saved by grace just like anyone else. We have the same nature as you. And we preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And verse 16 is the key. In verse 16, they say, In the generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways. To go their own ways. In chapter 14, Paul was saying that their time of ignorance, going their own way, is now over with. Those days are through. You now have the information enough that you must now follow the Lord. Your ignorance is over with. Come back to chapter 17, please. In verses 30 and 31. What they now will hear is a direct command that comes from God to their hearts. And it's concerning their sin. Concerning their following after false gods. And that is, in verse 30, it says, Having overlooked the time of ignorance, God is now declaring to people that everyone, everywhere, should repent. Why repent? Because the judgment that God brings upon all sin through His Son has been fixed. Look at verse 31. Because He, God, has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. You and I are judged in righteousness. You know what our righteousness is? Jesus Christ. He has given us 
His righteousness. When you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. God, in His grace and mercy, pours upon us the righteousness of Christ. And God, when He looks down upon us, doesn't see us sinners anymore. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so once we accept Christ, our sinfulness is not seen by God. What He sees is His Son and His righteousness within us. Back to verse 31. He says He'll judge the world in righteousness. How? Through a man whom He has appointed. God has appointed this man and He has furnished proof to you and me of who He is. And the proof is He has raised this man from the dead. Of course, verse 31 can only be speaking of the Messiah. Could only be speaking of the Savior of the world. Speaking of Jesus, Paul is presenting them their days of ignorance are now over with. You have to repent because God Almighty has fixed a day in which He is going to judge us in righteousness. And He has furnished proof to you and me who will judge us. And that is the one whom He has raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. You know, in, in, in Acts chapter 4, Peter probably said it as well as anyone could ever say it. In verse 12, Peter says, There is salvation in whom? No one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which you and I, we must be saved. There's no other name. Now, either that's true or it's not. Either the Bible is correct and it is true or it is not. And if it is true, then God has narrowed it down to just one person in which you and I may find our salvation. And that is His Son, Jesus Christ, because there is no other name. There is no other person by which you and I must believe in to be saved. Now that was a shock to the culture of the Greeks. Back to chapter 17. Because, look, they had so many gods. And, and that's what Paul saw. And he understood that they preferred in worshiping many gods. Why? Simple. Because they could go to whatever god suited them for their need at that moment. After all, they made the gods in their own images to serve them at their whim. That is why Paul said in verse 29, look, chapter 17, verse 29, being then the offspring of God, you and I, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art or the thought of mankind. In other words, you cannot conjure up the idea of God. God has already existed. He, he'll tell you who He is and He'll tell you what you should do. He's narrowed it down for you and me. Therefore, the, the Greeks had no fear of judgment because they just went to a convenient man-made God to do as they desired Him to do for the moment. And so they could not 
as Paul says, they could not make this God whom they have an altar to in their community to the unknown God. They cannot make him in that image. He's not a stone. He's not gold. He's not silver. He's not wood. He's not by your thoughts. You can't conjure up the idea of God. You must follow what God has said. We cannot ask God to come down and do as we ask. Now, to the Greek mind, that concept of a resurrection was absurd. But Paul wanted them to know that it is on this statement in verse 31. This is why verses 30 and 31 are critical. Verse 31 is the issue on which the whole gospel hinges. Paul himself wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then he says, not even Jesus Christ has been raised. But he says, if, and that if there is not if, it's it's also, it really is translated in the Greek since. It's not a maybe has, maybe hasn't. Paul writes, since. Since Christ has not, no, if, no, excuse me, I'm wrong. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the the hinge on which all of the gospel uh, works. It, 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 It is everything to those of us who believe. Jesus Christ raised from the dead so that you and I might not die spiritually. Physically, we will all die. But spiritually, our lives will go on. Our souls will go on forever and ever. Now, Paul knew one thing for sure. And you, we know this about Paul by now. He knew that this message would offend their precious philosophies because they were a, a brilliant community. They were a, a community of, of culture and of, of education. But he would not hold back the truth regardless of what it meant to him. And he had been thrown in prison and his life had been threatened and he was willing to do that because he would not compromise for these dear people in Athens. He would never change the basic message of God's Word. He might change his approach because we saw in this message he used their own poets to make their truth. But he'll never change the Word of God. He will never change the orders that the Lord God, Jesus Christ, had given to him to preach repentance and forgiveness because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what happens? Listen, what happens is so predictable in verses 32, 33, and 34. Some, it says in verse 32, sneered. In your Bible it might say mocked. It also might say laughed. In other words, they thought that Paul was a fool. And there are so many people that think you and I are foolish. They think that uh, coming to a church on a, on a Sunday morning for an hour and, and, and listening and reading in a Bible that is so outdated is absolutely, utterly foolish. And we're fools for doing that. And some people will sneer. Some of you here. Think we're crazy. Some of you here, though, as it says, will will say, um, I want to come back and I want to hear more. In other words, you want more proof, more evidence. 
That's fine. Please, please come back. We will try to give you as much evidence as we possibly can from the Word of God. I heard a message once by, in fact, I remember who it was. It was Bobby Richardson. He was a a former uh, Major League Baseball player with the New York Yankees. He was the second baseman. And he gave a message at a chapel service to the ballplayers. And he, he spoke of, there's only really two things you can say to God. You really don't have three options, as some might say. You can only say yes or no. You cannot say wait. And the reason he said you cannot say wait is because he said you and I do not have the luxury of knowing we'll be here tomorrow to hear more. That's all in the hands of God. We don't know when our last breath may be. And so wait is not an option. Only yes or no. And so some of them said, we want to hear more. Please come back and tell us more. It said Paul in verse 33 went out from their midst and when he went out it says in verse 34 that some of them, what? Followed him and believed. And it mentions again a a man and a woman and we've been saying over and over again how God exalts women to a high degree within the word of God. What say you? What do you say to it this morning? For those of us here who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our option is to follow Him and to give Him our lives. To study the Word of God, to to read what is written within here, we don't have options. Our life is to be spent to equip one another, to help one another grow in our faith. That's what it's really all about. The job that you have, The livelihood that you do to support your family is extremely important. But it's not the essence of our lives. Our lives are to be lived to serve the Lord. And you know, I've said this to you over and over again. You need to find a place to minister. You need to find a place where you are serving the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You know, and we give excuses. We're not smart enough. Obviously, we're not smart enough. Look at your pastor. We're not. We might say we don't have enough time. Hey, do you have enough time? God will give you the time. He will give you the intelligence at the time. He will help you in your ministry. And so for those of you who know the Lord, you're going to have to deal with that. Days of ignorance is over with. For those of you that do not know the Lord, your only option is to say yes to Him and you have enough information to believe right now. Or to say no, I'll come back and hear more. We will open the doors as wide as we can for you and love you with all of our hearts, but we're not going to change the message. The message will always be repent, turn from your sin, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did for you by shedding his blood upon the cross so that you might have everlasting life. That's the message. You got all the information you need. It is our deepest desire here at this church that you would accept him.
trust Him, then come back and we'll try to help you to grow in your faith as you'll help us to grow in our faith. We all want to be the men and the women and the young people of God that God has created us to be. And we want to build our lives into His image. We don't want to ask Him to be our uh, genie in the sky and do as we so wish. That's not the Lord God we worship here at this church. Would you pray with me right now, please? If you've never asked Christ into your heart, you would like to right now. It's not uh, so much what you say, it's what you feel within your very most innermost being. But if you would like to have some words, you can simply say, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sin. Help me to be the person that you've created me to be. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. For those of us who know you, Lord, may we find a place to minister, to serve, to help within the body of Christ. And this church is a tremendous example of it, Father. We have so many people that volunteer, so many people that serve. We thank you for every single one. Now, Father, may we go from here and will you take us wherever you might take us. May we be a blessing to you, we pray, this particular day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than I can tell you. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great, great day. Have a great day. Bye-bye.